0: Right, a couple of you. Let me tell you, I did a little study in, on naps. Between a nap, I studied, no listen. Let me tell you about a nap, listen to this. U.S., uh, the U.S. is one of the most sleep-deprived nations on the planet. Well each day, get this, when, when, when babies, and I'm sure Dietrich and Christina are doing this with little miles, they, they take a couple naps a day, right? It's not long until we wean our children off of naps and put them right on to caffeine and energy drinks. It's kind of sad. Right? So I've been doing a little research on naps. Let me tell you something about learning about a nap. There are seven benefits for sure in one of the studies I looked at. the number one, naps increase alertness. Get this, NASA did a study that said that a 40-minute nap increased alertness by 100%. Amen. Amen. Preach it, brother. Number two, a nap improves working and learning memory. Number three, naps prevent burnout, reverse information overload. Number four, a nap heightens your senses and creativity. Number five, a nap improves your health. I don't know if you knew that. Listen to this. When you sleep, you release a growth hormone called cortisol, or th- that-, that as an antidote to cortisol. Cortisol makes you not good, right? It, listen to this. But this, this hormone that's increased when you nap for, I think it's three times a week for 20 minutes, will actually get this. Will boost your immune system, primes your uh, intimacy function, Uh, reduces stress and anxiety, and aids in muscle repair and weight loss. Bring on the naps! (laughs) Come on, right? Listen to this. Uh, Right now, not now. Not now, not in church. (laughs) Some of you are like, sweet. You know, what? if you take a nap, I always do this. There are people, I promise you, I've been pastoring for a long time, and there are people every week who fall asleep while I'm preaching, right? And At some point, I used to get offended. I was just like, man, I'm not funny enough, I'm not, you know, in deep enough, it's nothing. Here's the deal, you know what it is? You're just tired. Here's what I have to tell I'm not going to embarrass you, sleep on. You know what? This is the place you, here's why, when I studied music and I was in college, and every Thursday about 2.30 in the afternoon, which was a crazy time frame, they would have, uh, in music, when I was studying music, they would have these thing called convocation, where all the music majors had to attend this uh, classical music expression of whatever. Basically, everyone got to pedal their wares and sing their songs, play their violins, whatever they had to do. Right? So every two, every every about two thirty every day, I was in for a nap. Right? It was awesome. Made me so. Here's the deal: sleep on in Jesus' name, amen. there're going to be a test, but sleep. Why you here? Anyway. Number six. Number six. No, get this: a thirty-minute nap three times a week has said to be about health brought about a 37% less risk of heart-related conditions. Listen to this. Of working men, three times a week nap, I don't know where they got it, 64% decrease in heart conditions. Number six, a nap improves your mood. And number seven, a nap saves you money. Come on. That's not enough, right? How? Energy drinks and Starbucks in Jesus' name, right? It's a lot of money. Naps. I want to talk to you this morning about a time that Jesus took a nap. Jesus took a nap. But when he took a nap, he took it at the most inopportune moment ever. There's only one time in Scripture we see that Jesus actually slept. And it's right in the middle of a storm. I don't understand. There's one time we see in Scripture where Jesus just caught some Zs, took a rest, hit the I'm tired button, and just fell asleep. You know, I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus taking a nap in the middle of a storm because I fear in my heart that there are some of you here today who find yourself in the middle of a storm and you actually think that Jesus is just, well, taking a nap. Taking a nap in the middle of your crisis. Taking a nap, just shutting some eyes right in the middle of your trial. It's almost as if you think that Jesus doesn't care. But somehow in the middle of this this deep water, heavy wind, high wave moment of your life, that God's just full on sleeping. Let's pray. God, I pray today you help me to communicate your word today. We love you a bunch. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in our final week of a series entitled Selah. Selah. Selah is a word that shows up in the Bible, in the book of Habakkuk. It shows up in the book of Psalms for sure. And there's another place it shows. But, but truly, the word selah literally means to pause, to ponder, to take a breath, to think about what it was that you just read, to, 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 to stop long enough to process. The word selah literally has at its core the meaning of complete peace. A sense of not hurried, not rushed, not, not having to get to what's next. Up on the screen you see the, the, the word sila written beneath a musical, a musical notation. And you know that on a staff of music that little squiggly line is what's called a quarter note rest. And above it what's called a, it's called a fermata. And a fermata literally means to hold whatever musical notation beneath it as long as the conductor holds their hands up. Literally that fermata with the quarter note rest is saying, Rest, Sila, be at peace as long as Jesus is in control. Literally, Sila means to breathe and not be in a rush and think through what's going on in your life, knowing that He's in authority. Man, if there's one thing our world needs more than anything right now, is Sila. We need more than anything is Sila. If you your Bibles, open it up to the book of Mark. You know, it's kind of crazy. There's a couple of gals in our church who actually got tattoos. You know what their tattoos are? That. Right? So my wife says to me the other night, she goes, are you sure that's what it means? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I found out that it doesn't really mean that. So, no, I'm kidding. But, but like tattoos, full on, like rest, right? You know, I love that. It made me almost cry thinking about the fact that there's people who wanted to say, listen, this means so much to me that I'm going to have it be a part of what I am, that I'm going to have Selah be a part of my life, and not just some sort of a sermon series that I listen to one day. Hmm. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 takes place at a time, you know, it's interesting, as you turn to Mark chapter 4, let me, let me, let me just back up and tell you this. I've been a Christian for 32 plus years, and, and walking with Jesus, I was 18 years old when I surrendered my life to Christ, and since then, till now... I I've walked through some pretty pretty deep waters, uh, some not so deep. I've walked through some pretty hard things. I got level with you, there's times when when I know that Jesus was close, man. I know he was near. I know he carried me. I know the footprints in the sand where he was walking along and the all that, right? I know that all along my journey walking with Jesus that this for sure is true that God is good, right? But I can also tell you in my years of walking with the lord that there are times when i didn't sense his presence there are times when i felt like the storms got high and the waves just crashed over my head and there were times when it felt like the, the night was darker than it should have been and it felt like the coat rack in the corner wasn't just a coat rack it was a full on monster coming to get me come on i'm not alone there are times when i had that moment let me tell you this i didn't always sense his presence I didn't always have a sense that he was there, always, always going to carry me, always going to walk with me. I didn't have the sense. I didn't have the feeling. I didn't have the emotion. But I can tell you for sure that he was there. I can tell you for sure that he carried me. And I only know that because I've been on the other side of those, of those storms. I've been on the other side of those equations. And I can tell you that he truly was there, but that my, my emotions were kind of wacky. And that even though I didn't sense him, didn't mean he wasn't there. It just meant that I, I was probably distracted or unaware, but he was always there. See, maybe you find yourself in the middle of a storm today. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of that trial. Or maybe you're at the heels of, of, of just beginning to get into what you think is about to be a storm. Maybe you're on the other side of that storm and you don't have a sense that God's presence is with you. You don't have a sense that he's going to carry you through this thing or that he did carry you through this thing. In fact, the only thought you have in your mind is, where are you, God? Where are you? And maybe in this moment in your life, you feel like that he's just somewhere taking a nap. Like he just doesn't care. That if he really cared, he would have told you in advance that there was a storm coming. That if God really cared, he would have warned you about this impending storm pit that you're about to step into see if God really cared and maybe that comment's been going on in your head and that question's been asked a hundred times if not more God if you if you really care why didn't you God if you really loved me then why didn't you God why didn't you help and maybe that's what's going through your mind even right now can I just tell you this if that thought or that question has ever crossed your mind you my friend are normal you my friend are normal The real real question isn't about your normality. The real question is, is what about it? Is he really just unaware or doesn't care enough to actually just take a nap while you're struggling? Or is there something more? Is there something that we can see in this Mark chapter 4 passage of God's deep love and confidence to not only carry you through a storm, but get you to the other side and make sure you get there? Maybe that's what God wants to show you today. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 4, go down to verse 35. Remember, Jesus just finishes this long day of preaching. Probably a long, several days of preaching. A bunch of time when he was Uh, sharing his love with people, seeing healings and deliverances and all the things that were happening there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. The crowd, the Bible says, started to push in on them a little bit. He gets pushed up with his heels to the back of the uh, the sea. He tells one of the guys, hey, let's climb on your boat so I can finish up this sermon. Gets out on the boat, does his sermon, finishes it up, and then he says to his disciples, hey guys, let's push away from the crowd a little bit and go to the other side. This is what he says. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. He was already in the boat, so they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although there were other boats that followed. But soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break in into the boat until it was full of water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? When he woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet down. Suddenly the wind stopped. There was great calm. And he asked them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? And they were filled with awe and said to themselves, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? You know, I'm always, I'm always, every time I read the Bible, I, I'm always confronted with the reality that everything in the Bible has meaning. Every single word that's in the Bible, every single accent mark, uh, the, the Greek is a jot and a tittle, everything inside of it, every little innuendo, it all matters. Why? Because the Bible, the Bible says, is literally living and breathing and sharper than any double-edged sword. The Bible that you hold in your hands, I'm telling you, it is amazing. There isn't one thing in there accidentally. Every single word is deliberately placed in here. I love this. And, and, and every now and again, uh, I, I, I I get confronted with the reality of, uh, of is this going to show up to be true this week? Verse, verse 438 struck me this week, right? When, when Jesus says that he was asleep with his head on a cushion in the back of a boat. I wrote those three things down, asleep, Head on a cushion, back of the boat. And literally this week I said, God, there's something here. What do you want to say to what do you want to say to our church this week about you being asleep in the back of the boat with your head on a cushion? There's a lot of things we see here, and there's so much more, is as you start to dig around in your Bibles, there's so much that shows up. One of the questions that Jesus asks his disciples in in once he quiets the storm. Now remember, Jesus didn't stand up at the, 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 the front of the boat and yell, quiet down. Literally, the Bible says he said quite easily, be still. And it just stopped. The Bible says suddenly it stopped. It didn't say the winds just somehow eventually calmed themselves. It says it suddenly died down. Literally just bam, wind, no wind. They were all in awe. They were like, what just happened? I always wonder, like, what, what are some of the things that Jesus might have been anticipating when he asked them this question? Why are you afraid? Do you still have faith in me? I wonder what kind of information he was trying to garner from them. You know, Was he telling them that they should have come to him sooner while he was sleeping? What was Jesus saying? Hey, why are you so afraid? What was he trying to ask them? Like, why didn't you come wake me up earlier? Or, or, or perhaps, maybe, why didn't you have enough faith to calm the storm yourself? <laughs> I don't know I I, I don't really know exactly what Jesus information was trying to gather from those questions but I do know that some of us are confronted with those same questions when the middle of your storm right now in the middle of your trial that God would ask you the same questions why are you so afraid do you not have trust in me do you not have faith in me Pastor Justin just got up here a little bit ago and received the offering and he said that he and his wife they trusted God in this area of their life and they did it. There are times that every one of us gets confronted with that question. Should I? Can I? Will you still be the same as you were before? Of course you're good to him. He's a pastor. Of course you're good. But the but the idea that God would somehow be good to just anybody else it just it baffles my mind right. We always get in that moment. But what information was Jesus really asking when he said, "Are you afraid and fearful?" Really, it's humanity, right? It's who we all are. All of us are a little afraid and fearful. You know, storms have a purpose. I think a storm's purpose is twofold. I think storms that we face in life really have two two things that that they're 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 baseline. First of all, to expose, and second, to distort. I think storms always expose, and storms always distort. They expose our fear level. Storms always expose our fear level, for sure. They expose our faith level. You know what else they expose? They expose our self-confidence level. exposes how much self we're going to rely upon. Storms, let me tell you, storms have a purpose, and I think they're to expose and to distort. Expose our fear, our faith, our self. I think storms always bring that to the surface. But not only that, I think storms also have a purpose to distort. They distort all kinds of things. They distort your view of the problem, for sure. And they make the problem seem enormous. storm comes to hit you, and you realize, like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get through this thing? There's no way. We're going down. We're going to drown. I mean, these guys were career fishermen who had been out on the Sea of Galilee who had actually experienced a few storms, and they're coming to a carpenter asking him for help and saying, we're going to drown. And you get this idea that there was something about the storm that was pretty significant, for one, but two, they knew that they weren't going to drown. Most of those guys were well, well-versed in how to handle storms. Yet still... A storm brought about a distortion of the truth. And that happens in your own journey of life. When you incur storms, the, the, the truth gets distorted in your life, and, and you, the, 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 the coat rack in the corner turns into a bigger monster. And the, the things that you didn't think now become things that you do think. And next thing you know, you're panicking about something. Because storms always distort, they distort the truth. You know what they also distort? They distort your view of God. You always ask, God, do you care? God, do you know? God, how could you leave me? God, how could you... It distorts everything. It's almost as if all the truth that you know to be true about God loving you and caring for you and never leaving you or forsaking you gets chucked out the wind that's blowing across your bow. And the distortion that happens when a storm hits, it's literally fulfilling its purpose to expose who you are and to distort the truth. Hmm. What's coming to the surface of your life in the middle of your storm right now? What's floating up to the surface of your life right now in a storm? What what is the exposure of your faith or fear or maybe even self-confidence? What does it look like to you? Are you happy with it? You feel good about that? What is that storm distorting in your life? Perhaps the size and the the magnitude of the storm or maybe even the uh, maybe insignificance of who God is in your own life. And distorting that truth to be in your life. What, what is that exposing in your life? Are you good with what you see? Because that's what a storm does. It exposes and distorts. And then ends up making all kinds of craziness. And, and we find in this particular passage of scripture that Jesus was on, in the middle of a storm taking a nap. Can I tell you this? How many believe Jesus was a spiritual being? He's human completely, but he was also, I'm saying spiritual like we say spiritual, like we say that person's pretty spiritual, right? And and what we we mean by that is they're just like, they're like not acting human at the moment, right? Come on, don't leave me out here alone. But you know, you're like, wow, that guy's super, that lady is spiritual, right? Come on, like Shandala spiritual, Like I mean, come on, you you know what I'm talking about, right? How many believe that Jesus was at at least spiritual, right? He had that part going on, right? Can I tell you this? You want to tweet something today? Tweet this. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you could possibly do in the middle of a storm, take a nap, <laughs> tweet that. Why? <laughs> Is there some about this ability to rest, to be at peace, to to sila in the middle of a storm? Because there's a confidence and a trust that you may not know today. Hmm. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat with his head on a mat, on a cushion. Three things I want you to remember today in how to deal with the storm. Three things that, that are truths, literally, that show up in every storm. First of all, know this. Number one, Jesus, in the middle of storms, rests. Jesus rests in storms. Translation, Jesus doesn't panic. <laughs> Jesus isn't panicky. Jesus doesn't panic around storms. He doesn't freak out. He he doesn't lose his mind. He doesn't yell and scream, I don't know what's going on. Jesus kind of knows what's going on. He rests. Literally, Jesus is peace. Jesus is sila. Jesus is completely at rest. Jesus is completely at peace. How could Jesus be at rest? Well, two things. One, I think he was super tired. I think he was super tired from preaching. I said this a couple weeks ago that statistics tell us and studies tell us that to preach a sermon, a 30 minute, 35, 40 minute sermon is equivalent to about an eight hour work day. Hmm, go figure. And also, right, Jesus gets done preaching all day long, right? Probably a couple days in a row. So, So quite frankly, in the Greek, Jesus was whooped. I think Jesus was tired. How could he sleep in the back of the boat in the middle of a storm? He was tired. Secondly, I think Jesus could sleep in the middle of a crazy storm in the back of a boat because not only was he tired, but number two, Because he was super confident. He was tired, but he was super confident. Confident in what? Well, confident in his ability to trust in the Holy Spirit to calm a storm. Jesus absolutely was confident in who the boss was. He knew that the storm wasn't going to be the the end of him. He knew that the storm wasn't going to be the thing that was going to take him out. He knew he could trust in God completely. Jesus was super tired and super confident. He could rest because he was absolutely assured who was ultimately in control. By the way, Jesus' ability to sleep has nothing to do with his heart towards you. Jesus' ability to rest in the middle of your storm has nothing to do with his care towards you. It has nothing to do with his love towards you. It has nothing to do with how many cartwheels you can twirl in front of him. It has nothing to do with how many, how many good things you can do to stack on the good side of the scale in your life. Jesus does not just like, well, you know what, I'm going to just rest here for a while until she pulls off a of good things and does stuff at the church. The next thing you know, then I'll go ahead and wake up and help out. That's how some of us think. Unfortunately, wrong, but I can tell you this, Jesus rests in your life in the middle of a storm because he knows who he is. He knows who he is. He knows he's the storm stopper. He knows he's the storm allower. He knows what's going to be exposed as a result of this storm in your life. Hmm. Jesus can do anything. Listen to this, number two. Not only does Jesus rest in the middle of a storm, but it says that he rests at the back of the boat, at the back of the boat. Let me tell you this, everything in your Bible means something. Everything in your Bible means something. You got to know that. Everything means something. Jesus resting means something. Jesus at the back of the boat means something. Why on earth did Jesus go to the back of the boat? What does that have to do with it? You know, a boat could have been you know, it had, you know, 15 some odd people in it. So it wasn't super huge. It was, you know, probably, you know, from that wall to me, not real big, you know. And somehow at the back of the boat, Jesus sat down. It's, it's uh, all these people who were fishermen. They caught all the fish. They put them in the, in the middle of the boat. I mean, it was, it was a fishing boat, right? Maybe it was Peter's boat. We don't know. We know that Peter kept his boat because later on, after Jesus rose from the dead and Peter was discouraged because he doubted him three times, he went fishing again. Where? Probably on his boat, so we know that Peter had one. Maybe this was Peter's boat. Maybe Peter knew that Jesus was probably whooped from preaching all day, and Peter said, "You know what? We're already out here on my boat. So Jesus, I will take it from here. Go ahead, catch some, C, catch some Z's. Go ahead and, and go ahead and sleep a little bit. I got this. I'll get us to the other side." Maybe Peter was just pretty happy and proud, and he just said, "You know what? I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here." Has that ever happened in your life? When God begins to do something in you and you're like, you know what, God, thanks. I'll take it from here. I got this. I'm going to just take it. And you start heading down some road and the next thing you know, you bump into a big storm and you're like, Jesus is asleep. You don't even think about him sleeping anymore because you're so focused on that storm. The next thing you know, that storm becomes you and it, you and it, you and it. And it's all about you and that bill or you and that fight or you and that trial or you and that struggle. And you don't even put Jesus in the equation. Because you took it from here. You said, I'll take it from here. I'll, I'll get us to where we're going. And maybe, and maybe that's what happens in most of our lives when we incur storms. We just take it upon ourselves to say, I'll take it from here. I mean, for all the good, chivalrous reasons. God, I'm, I'll do this. I'll, I'll handle this. I don't need you. Also, The idea that we do this, sometimes it's bathed in the right, healthy balance of, God, I'm going to just not burden you with this. But sometimes we just take literally him out of the equation because we're going to just handle this on our own. And my fear is that most of us live life in that very spot. We, we, we just relegate Jesus to back boat living. Jesus, get back there. You, you stay back in the boat. I don't want to hear from you unless I have a trial. I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to put you in the back of the boat where you belong. I'll make decisions from here. I'm going to decide who I marry. I'm going to decide who, where I work. I'm going to decide which church I leave and which one I start. I'm going to decide what friends I keep and which I don't. I'm going to decide which websites to click on and which ones I don't. And we find ourselves in this moment of saying, Jesus, get in the back. Just get back there. I don't want you at the front because if I have you at the front, then, then, then it's kind of blur. I can't see around you because, because, because all I see is you. And see, maybe that's the trial that so many of us are finding ourselves in as we've just thrown Jesus to the back of the boat and we tell him to just stay there and be quiet. I'll take it from here. Maybe that's where you found yourself today. Maybe that's where Peter found himself. Maybe it wasn't Peter. Maybe it was all of the disciples. Maybe it had nothing to do with that. But, but, but what if, what if we've relegated Jesus to the back of our boat and just said, stay there, I got this. Maybe that's why the the wind seemed to hit a little harder. Maybe that's why the storm seems to be a little darker. Maybe that's why the, the, the waves, I don't know, just seem to be a little stronger. Jesus is at the back of your boat, and, and literally there's, there's no room for him at the front. Hmm. I wonder what Jesus going to the back of the boat really meant. I'm not so sure it was all Peter's doing. I got a a funny feeling that Jesus went to the back of the boat because he's not interested in running every detail of your life. Uh, What I mean by that is, is that Jesus gave you a brain. Jesus wants you to trust him. Jesus doesn't want to make every decision for you. He just wants to guide the ones that you're making. You know how I picture it is. Jesus is a really good dad. Really good dad. You know what really good parents do? Really good parents don't make every decision for their children. They teach their children how to make really good decisions. Really good parents, uh, at first, little really good parents say, no, you have to eat that. No, you can't touch that. No, don't hang out with them. No, you can't stay out past midnight. No, you can't do this. No, you." And, and good parents really guard and protect, right? My, my daughter the other day, it was funny. I said to, she was, we were talking about some friend of hers who has a kid or something, and I, I said this phrase that I had said to them growing up all their lives. I said, nothing good happens after midnight. Except this time I said, nothing, nothing good happens after 930. (laughs) And she goes, why do you keep changing the time? (laughs) I was like, all depends on the age of the kid. (laughs) Doesn't matter, man. Whatever happens after, nothing good happens after 930. And she's like, that is just dumb. And I said, you'll use it. Trust me. Good parents teach their kids how to make good decisions. Jesus wants to help you make good decisions. He's there to love and care for you. You know, what Jesus doesn't want to do is be that parent that says, when, when the child is 30, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You know, I wonder sometimes, like, why didn't Jesus warn him and say, hey, you know what, there's a storm about to come. You ought to stay next to the shore and just hug the shoreline as we go around this thing. It would be nice if he said that, wouldn't it? All Jesus said to them was, let's go to the other side. He didn't say um, how to get to the other side. He didn't say when to get to the other side. He didn't say what they were going to incur on their way to the other side. He just said, let's get to the other side. He left it up to them to decide. Now, they were career fishermen. My guess is, is they knew the weather patterns to some degree. I mean, they knew stuff. They didn't have the Doppler radar, perhaps, but they knew stuff. They knew what kind of year, time of year it was. They knew what, what, what weather patterns could happen at that time. They could have stayed near the shore. Instead, they went straight out into the middle, straight out to where the, the waves were higher, straight out where the wind was stronger, straight out where the night was probably darker. We do that, don't we? We have Jesus somewhere in the back of our boat, and we just, we just go for it, and we just don't, don't care. I think Jesus was at the back of the boat for one reason. It was to let them know, hey, listen, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'll guide you. I'll I'll help you. But I'm not going to make every decision for you. I love the fact that God wants us to grow up in him. Why? Because he wants to have a relationship with you. There's nothing worse than having a relationship with a robot. Jesus wants a relationship with someone who wants a relationship. you realize that Jesus doesn't want you to be obedient so you'll love him? He wants you to be obedient out of the love of what's right because you love Him. He wants you to do what's right because you love Him, not do what's right so that, you, that He'll actually love you. And some of us have such a distorted view of God that if we somehow do enough right things, that He'll just love us a little bit more. He already loves you more than you could ever imagine. Your ability to be obedient has everything to do with your love of what's right, not out of the fear of being spanked. Hmm. Jesus rests. Jesus is at the back of the boat. And number three, things to remember in a storm. Jesus laid his head on a cushion. Let me tell you this again. Everything in the Bible is there on purpose. I'll level with you. I was a little hard pressed on this one. I was like, okay, Jesus, you got to show me something. Head on a cushion. Looked up the Greek, means head on the cushion. I was like, there's got to be something here, man, because every time I look at the Bible, you show me something. So, I mean, I looked at it, I said it, I went on a walk, I spoke in tongues, I did everything. I was like, I still ended up with head on a cushion. I was like, come on, what are you trying to say, right? Come on, and let me tell you this, his word is real and it's true. Let me tell you, so I start plowing around, and I'm looking around, other oh, guys that have preached on this, what are the things, what do you come up with with cushion? Head on a cushion, come on. Found something. Amazing. Everything in the Bible is real. Everything in the Bible, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training. Everything. It says Jesus was at the back of the boat taking a nap with his head on the cushion. Listen, when I just said the cushion, they didn't say, now some of your English translations might say a cushion or, uh, or, or some cushion, but in the Greek it actually says the cushion. The word the is actually a definite article, which means a specific cushion. Not any old cushion. It wasn't like a holy cushion. It was a fishing boat for the love of heaven. Jesus was asleep at the back of the boat with his head on the cushion. What is the cushion? Listen to this. The cushion. The meaning of the cushion was this. The only one who had a cushion in a boat in the first century was the captain. It was the captain's cushion. A captain cushion was a cushion that the captain either stood on or sat on to be able to pilot the ship. Literally, it meant... By the way, did you know this? I don't know if you knew this, but the captain of the ship, the captain of any ship is the ultimate authority. They decide when they throw the ropes, when they keep the ropes, when they fish, when they don't fish, when they stop, when they go, when they put the sails up or put the sails down. The person who makes a decision who has the authority on the ship is, get this, the captain. The Bible here says that Jesus put his head on the cushion. Translation, Jesus literally, listen to this, I wrote down a translation of that whole thing. Jesus asleep at the back of the boat, head on the cushion. Here's the New Lance translation. Jesus, completely at rest, allows us to navigate our way through life, trusting fully in his authority to care for us in every storm we face. Jesus is the captain. Jesus is authority, personified. There ain't no storm in your life that he can't get you through. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat with his head on the cushion because he's the captain. Because he is authority. Translation, you're not. Storms scare you. They don't scare him. Jesus is resting. Why? Because he can. Because he is authority. My fear is that too many of us think that we are authority. Or get this, that the storm is the authority. And if the storm is going to determine our ability to get somewhere, Jesus is authority. The real question is, is is he your authority? Does he have lordship of your life? Are you trusting him as you navigate and make decisions to say, God, you good with this? Lord, we're heading this way. God, it's your plan. Lord, I'm stepping out. I'm believing you. And the whole while, you know what he's trying to show us is that he can rest in a storm because he is the boss. The reason you can't rest in a storm is because maybe he doesn't seem to be your boss, he is authority. He put his head on the cushion because he could. He's the only one in the boat who could. Perhaps today he wants you to know that he wants to be your authority. He wants to to not make every decision for you. He wants to help you navigate as you trust in his authority. Maybe it's in that relationship you're in. Maybe it's in that trial that you're walking through. Maybe it's in the, 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 the decisions that you've made to trust or not trust. And God's saying, listen, if you'll allow me, I'll guide you through this thing. I'm not going to make every decision for you, but I'll guide the decisions you make if you'll trust me. Jesus isn't relegated to the back of the boat because it's insignificant. He's in the back of the boat because he, he wants to allow you to trust his authority as you navigate this course. Amen. Lord, this morning we come and we thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that every word of Scripture is breathed by you. Lord, I pray today that the person who sits in this room today, who has not allowed you to be their authority, that today they can surrender completely to who you are. They can cast all of their care upon you because you care for them. They can trust deeply in you for their salvation. Maybe that's you today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. But this morning you're realizing that you need to take care of that. If that's you, say, Jesus, I surrender me. I surrender all I am to you. I need you today. Maybe it's the first time in a long time and you're realizing today is a a catalytic moment, reminding that all of the authority that you've taken, that really belongs to him, Give it back. Say, Jesus, I surrender it back to you. I don't need to get resaved. I just need to get realigned. Some of you need to get Jesus out of the back of the boat of your life to the degree that you trust him and that he's not relegated as some sort of a safety plan, but he's the one who wants to help navigate and guide and lead you. God, we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.